Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast. I'm Kristen Roberts, head of news at McClatchy, and I'm sad to say that Alex Rorty is out reporting in North Carolina, and so he can't be with us, but I'm just as happy to welcome back Adam Wolner, our politics editor. Hi, Adam. Hey, Kristen. How you doing? I'm well, I'm well, thank you for asking. And I am extremely happy and feel very lucky to welcome someone who has never been on this show before, Tia Mitchell. She's a correspondent for one of America's greatest metro newsrooms, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Tia, thank you for being here with us. Good morning. Good morning. So listen, our listeners are pretty smart people, and I'm sure they've guessed that this week on our state-by-state March to Election Day, we're diving into Georgia because we have an AJC reporter with us. And Georgia, to me, is a fascinating story in 2020. This is a state that has not gone to a Democratic presidential candidate since 1992. And as recently as July, Democrats were calling it a stretch to even think about taking Georgia. And yet, in September, Trump started dumping just buckets of cash into the state. And the president's campaign is now spending more in Georgia than it is in Michigan, which is just an eye-popping development to me. So let's figure out what this means. First, I'm going to you, Adam. Give us the state of play. What do the polls say? Yeah, I mean, Georgia has been a very tantalizing state for Democrats for for many cycles now, really all the way back since 2008 when Barack Obama got within in five points there of of John McCain. You know, Democrats have always said this is going to be the next state. You know, every election they've been saying that this is going to be the year where we finally, you know, turn it at least purple, if not flip it. Uh, into the Democratic column. And 2020 has certainly now presented the best opportunity for them to do that since, as you mentioned, Kristen, since 1992, the last time they won it. Right now, the polls are showing a, a dead even race. Joe Biden even has a slight advantage. If you look at, at the, the polling averages out there right now, I think it's important to remember while you know Trump was able to win the state fairly fairly easily in, in 2016, he only won it with less than 51% of the vote. Uh, when you you know you include in some of the third party candidates there who aren't as much of a factor this time around, so it's not as if you know he won it with an overwhelming majority four years ago. Factor in uh, Joe Biden, his strength with black voters, his strength with white suburban voters compared to where Hillary Clinton was four years ago. Donald Trump, of course, his his job approval rating, his handling of the pandemic has soured voters in Georgia and nationally, and and that's that's where you have us today. You know, it, it still is a right leaning state. But given Trump's weaknesses, here we are um, less than four weeks out for the election, and it, it's basically a, a tie ball game. All right. So, Tia, that's what the polls say. Do the lawn signs agree in the state of Georgia? It's funny you should ask that because I'm stuck in Washington, so I have to learn a lot of that from my colleagues who are down in Georgia. Right. But to answer your question, 
it depends on where in Georgia you are. You know, Georgia is one of those states with one major city. And then the farther you get from the city, the more rural it becomes. So in a lot of ways, people talk about there being kind of two Georgias in some ways. And so in the Atlanta metro area, which is usually about a third of the voting population, very Biden heavy, very blue. But one of the reasons why Biden is doing better in Georgia is because that blue area is expanding out from the city into the suburbs, into the now exurban area, as we like to call it, those outer ring suburbs right before you get to the real rural areas. So still in rural Georgia, though, that's Trump country. And so the question is, how much can Biden kind of expand that progressive base from Atlanta outward? When you think about the changes that have happened politically in Georgia and that population shift out or expanding out of Atlanta, is that what we were seeing with Stacey Abrams or is there more to the Stacey Abrams phenomenon that seems to have so invigorated Democratic Party activists around the possibilities in Georgia? Well, Stacey Abrams did a couple of things much different than statewide Democratic candidates in the past. And I got to see it up close. I was actually assigned to cover the closing weeks of Stacey Abrams' campaign, and I followed her across Georgia. Georgia has 159 counties. And as we've said, you know, a lot of those counties are very rural, not heavily populated. Stacey Abrams campaigned in every single county at least once. You know, she said she was trying to get every vote. So even if there was a rural Northeast Georgia county that she had no chance of winning the county overall, she said there are still some votes there I can get. So that's a blueprint she helped set. But she also worked hard to enfranchise and fire up voters who don't normally participate in the election process. Your younger voters, your Black voters, and other ethnic minority groups. And so that's the Stacey Abrams blueprint. And we do see that being duplicated a little bit by Biden. You know, now because Georgia is in play, the Biden campaign is staffing up, is increasing its campaigning in the state, and it is looking at these different coalitions of voters. So it's not just Biden for Georgia. There was a Greeks for Biden in Georgia thing the other day. And, you know, he's got different pockets of voters he's trying to reach out to in a way that he hopes can broaden his coalition. You know, it's so interesting, Adam, we talk about this demography as destiny theory constantly because we came up with Ron Brownstein back at National Journal, but it seems to play out in Georgia, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think to, to Tia's point, if Democrats are going to win in, in a state like Georgia, they, they can't just focus on one area of the state. Certainly, it's going to be critical for them to drive up black turnout in, in the city of Atlanta. Um, that was a huge missed opportunity for Hillary Clinton in 2016. So Biden's going to have to get up, you know, you know, to Obama levels, to Stacey Abrams levels, and then probably, and then, and then some, right? Because, uh, either Obama or Abrams actually won the state, but then he's going to have to couple that with the growing white, you know, suburban college educated population that's just growing year after year in the metro Atlanta area. But then he's also got to cut into, into Trump's margins in rural Georgia. He can't let him run up the score there like he did in, in 2016. He's got to kind of do all, all three of these things, uh, to, to, to assemble that, that coalition to win in a state like Georgia. And it certainly seems potentially doable. As, as Tia said, you know, the Biden campaign is starting to pour resources into the state. It's certainly still not one of their top tier targets. But at this point, they've raised enough money that they can actually start to, to, to really play in, in the state. 
Tia, you talked about the counties. What are the counties, if I'm sitting back on election night, what are the counties that I should be watching for? What are Where are the results going to tell a bigger story about Georgia? So there are several. The bluest counties in Georgia are Fulton, which is Atlanta, and then DeKalb, which there are parts of the city of Atlanta that seep into DeKalb. DeKalb is Democratic and has a lot of Black voters in DeKalb County as well. So those are the two bluest counties in Georgia. So the thing to look for um, after the final night of election is how blue are they, because they can help get Biden a head start, or if too many Democratic voters stay home, that could bode better for President Trump. And then also you want to look at some of the outer suburbs of Atlanta and how much bluer they are this year compared to 2018 and 2016. So those are counties like Gwinnett County and Cobb County, and even I would say Douglas County, which is kind of west of Fulton County. Again, those suburbs, how blue are they? Because the bluer they are, the more that that gives Biden a cushion even beyond previous elections. And then recently there was a report in the, I believe it was the New York Times, and they looked at bellwether counties across the nation. And they selected Peach County, Georgia. And that is a county, it's a suburban Macon. So Macon is, you know. Oh, we know Macon. Okay. So you know Macon (laughs) in kind of south of Atlanta, central Georgia, middle Georgia is what we call it. And Peach County is right outside of Macon. And the reason why that was considered a bellwether is, again, it's the question is, can African-American turnout get Peach County blue or is it still too much of a rural county to stay red? And if Peach County can go blue by increasing turnout and energizing voters, then a county like Peach could really show that Georgia itself can turn blue. So I would look at all of those. And, and Peach County, right, is one of uh, a couple in the state that voted for Obama twice and then and then went for Trump. And I think, yeah, there are, there are five of those in, in Georgia. So you know, even at, while we think of, you know, in the suburban areas, some of those that went from, from Romney to Clinton and are continuing to turn more Democratic, I think, you know, there still are some opportunities for Democrats to get to win back some of those that went to Obama, uh, but then went for, for Trump in 2016. All right. So for the both of you, let, let, let's bring our listeners kind of inside the campaigns in this very moment. We know how much money Donald Trump is spending in Georgia. What do you think that indicates to you? Do you think he really thinks Georgia is falling away from him? I think so, because he could be spending his money elsewhere. You know, you've got to make smart choices when it comes to these dollars that are finite. And where's the best use of your dollars? So I do think it tells us something that the Trump campaign believes it has to spend valuable resources defending territory in Georgia. And I think it's not just a sign of President Trump's issues in Georgia. It's also a sign that there are many competitive races in Georgia this year. We've got both U.S. senators on the ballot. And so Democrats are charged up in Georgia and they've got a lot of reason to head to the polls because, again, they're trying to unseat two incumbent Republicans. So I think the Republican Party feels that Trump at the top of the ticket is going to be really important for some of these down ballot races, which even more so has them saying, please spend money, please be present, please help us energize the base to to stay engaged this year. 
and we should know, right? I mean, for for Georgia, for Trump, I mean, if he's not winning Georgia, right? I mean, this is this is a landslide at this point. You know, if he, if he can't win Georgia, what does that mean about where he is in Wisconsin, and Michigan, and Pennsylvania, Arizona, Florida? Joe Biden does not necessarily need to, to win Georgia to get to two seventy. I think, as Tia mentioned, those down ballot races certainly have to play a, a factor for both campaigns. You got to think about how they can, you know, sort of, you know, rising tide lifts lifts all boats and help out some of those down ballot candidates, and especially for, for the Senate. You know that you know it's it's going to be a real close battle here for who controls the, the, the Senate and, and Georgia, especially given that uh, both those races might, might go to runoffs. So if no candidate reaches 50 percent, you know, those may go beyond Election Day and ultimately determine who, who controls the Senate. So, it, you know, it's important to start spending that money now. And obviously the presidential campaigns are the ones that have the most money right now. I mean, you're right, I think, and, and it's so smart to know that it, the congressional races are going to drive turnout as much as the presidential. But Adam, to me, neither candidate needs Georgia. And Georgia's nice to have, but they both have a path without Georgia. It's, it's tough for me to see Trump's path without Georgia. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just given where that is in terms of his path to, to 270, because to me, you know, if he's losing... Georgia, that means, you know, he's losing North Carolina, you know, he's probably losing in, in uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and, and already there you're at, um, you know, Biden's o- over 270. That's an extraordinary statement I think you're making to say Georgia indicates North Carolina. They feel like still very um, distinctive to me. They feel like different states to me. Oh, absolutely. Why, why are you making, why are you saying if he loses Georgia, he's lost North Carolina? What is that for you? For me, it's that, you know, just looking at sort of the totem pole here of, of, of states where Biden has, has the best chance to flip, you know, Georgia is, is much further down the line to me. You know, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Arizona, North Carolina, you know, yeah. are all above that for me. They're all very different states, of course. So by the time he gets but, to yes. Georgia, he's already knocked yes, those out. Yes, exactly, it. exactly. You have to just remember that it's it's been a couple of decades since Democrats have won statewide in Georgia. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Bill Clinton was winning in the early 90s. You know, that was when the last Democratic governor, Georgia does not have the track record as some of these other battleground states of electing Democrats statewide. We know Stacey Abrams came close and showed that, you know, it's possible to get there, but it has not happened. So I think if a Democrat wins statewide in Georgia, it will be more surprising than even some of those other battleground states where that is, you know, look at Florida, just our neighbor, you know, Florida voted for Obama. Florida had, you know, Senator Nelson until just the last cycle. And so some of those other states that are swing states have been more purple consistently. Georgia has not. Right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, we're going to move to my favorite part of the show, which is where you guys get to tell me something that I don't know. And I'm going to go to you first, Tia. What is new in your notebook? So I am actually, I thought a lot about this and I've decided to make sure you guys knew 
Two of my colleagues just this morning have a pretty blockbuster article out about Mark Meadows, who, as we know, is the White House chief of staff to President Trump. His daughter got married in Atlanta in May at a wedding that had about 70 people. The statewide rules at the time were gatherings of no more than 10 people. So the question is, is how that's going to resonate as we're talking a lot about the coronavirus, the spread of coronavirus, and the rules and who gets to follow them. We learned this morning that Donald Trump's chief of staff did not follow the rules. And apparently it wasn't a secret and there was no accountability. Wow. It's a good piece. I saw it this morning and I hit the paywall and I paid like everybody should because you need to read the story. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Support local news. Absolutely. Read local. All right, Adam, you're up. Surprise me. Yes. Uh, so I was digging through um, the ad spending numbers in Georgia yesterday. Uh, and Georgia is actually one, one of the few states where Trump is actually outspending Biden overall on ads. So far in the general election, he spent uh, just north of $7 million. Biden right now is just a little bit below $5 million. But where they are spending it stuck out to me a little bit. Of course, both are spending overwhelmingly on TV. That still is where campaigns put their money. And that's you know the, the most expensive place to, to, to air ads as well. But what's, what's uh, stuck out to me is that Joe Biden is spending a little more than $600,000 on radio, which amounts to about 13% of his total buy. Donald Trump has spent virtually nothing on radio, about $3,000, a sort of old school medium that Joe Biden is leaning a little bit heavily into. Meanwhile, Trump is spending a lot more on digital ads, over 400,000 compared to Biden, who's just said about 150,000. So just notable to me, the split between Biden leaning a little more into radio ads in the state, Trump uh, leaning into to digital ads in the state. There's maybe a little bit of an old school, new school divide. So we'll, we'll see how, how that plays out. You're always giving yourself assignments when you come on this show. Now I want to know why he's buying radio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me too. seriously, this is a headline. I want to learn yeah. more. So off you go. Yeah. All right, that's it for us. Thank you to you both for being with us on this show. Thank you to our producer, Jeremy Sheeler, and to our executive producer, Davin Coburn. And thank you, of course, to our listeners. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you're using these days. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review. Talk to you next week.